It's Adam Chartoff, your host of FilmWax Radio. It is Friday, November 13th, 2020. This is episode number 643 of the podcast, and I'm very excited. We have two street photographers on the show today. Uh, both of these segments, by the way, available for if you want to watch as opposed to listen, you can stop now and go over to the YouTube channel. So you go to youtube.com slash Radio, and both guests, Manny Kirchheimer and Godless, are on the, the YouTube channel as well, so you can actually watch it. But if you prefer, I, I welcome you here again. And uh, it's just sort of uh, very interesting kind of how this timed out, but both are, uh, in a sense, street photographers. Godless is a street photographer. He started off as a street photographer, as you're going to hear, when he was living in Boston, and then he moved to New York City, or back to New York City, and he, uh, or, no, he moved to New York City, I think he came from Long Island and uh, established him here, I don't know, 40, 50 years ago. Then evolved into a, a photo photographer of the downtown punk scene, which is really what he's known for almost primarily. He finally released a book a few years ago called History is Made at Night, but he has a new book called Godless Streets, which has just been released, and which, which is what we're going to talk about, which is back from his earlier street photography days um and he talked we kind of get into the mechanics of of that but you can go to rizzolibookstore.com and then uh you'll find the book is is available for purchase there as well as um uh, uh you can register for a uh an event which looks really great with godless so godless is coming up here first if you go to the rizzolibookstore.com and click on events in the menu, you'll see that uh, there is the David Godless Presents Godless Streets virtual book event, and it's a free event. I recommend it. I'm going to be doing this. It's uh, on Friday, on Thursday, the 19th of November at 5 o'clock Eastern, Eastern time. So you can uh, see Godless in conversation again after this segment. Um, I've known Godless many years because in addition to all of what I've said he's been doing, he's also sort of the official or in-house photographer at film link at Lincoln Center which used to be called the Film Society at Lincoln Center. So if when you go to those red carpets he's usually shooting for those events like or screenings, you know, when they have a red carpet for a festival or they're doing special events. And um he's also at the press and industry screenings and we've uh, you know gotten to know each other over the last I don't know decade or so. You know, when I did a Kickstarter a couple of years ago, he was very generous. He donated some of his original uh, photographs. He printed them, and we we sold them, and um, it was very helpful to me, so I appreciate it, and I want to return the favor. Godless Streets, again, it's available uh, uh, at the Rizzoli Bookstore. You can get it through their website, and it's beautiful. And if you watch this on YouTube, I insert some examples of his street photography from back in the day. So we're going to go to Godless. Then we're going to meet with, uh, with, with a different type of street photographer, a documentary film street photographer. 
Manny Kirchheimer. He'll be coming up right after. He's returning to the podcast. We had him on some years ago when when they released or re-released his uh, documentary uh, Stations of the Elevated. He's back with a new documentary called Free Time, which is, again, it's archival street street film from the streets of New York, uh, mostly from the west side, Hell's Kitchen up to the Upper West Side, up to uh, Washington Heights, I think. It's beautiful. It's uh, uh, So we'll be back in just a little while with Manny. But first up here, this is my conversation with uh, uh, photographer Godless, only on Filmwax Radio. good because i don't know what i'm doing but you do know what you're doing you just don't know you know what you're doing yeah i sort of semi <laughs> semi know what i'm doing yeah, good, i have like a good, little uh, microphone that i attached it's great you sound good and it's a good the lighting is good the lighting is that i know i know lighting we have good, well, you should right you have good eye line here so everything looks good all right i moved i moved my i we... I did. I, I voted a week, like uh, Saturday. Yeah, I voted last week. Last, was it last Saturday? What's today, Tuesday? I think it was a week ago Saturday. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was the first day up here in the Hudson Valley where I was able to vote, and I just... Yeah, I didn't go first. Day. When did... Well, you know, I'm not. it's not a contest. I'm not trying to show off. I just... It was more of a, like... Just you know, I like just I don't know. I was just very very motivated, and I was too. But it was really crowded that first day in the city. So I yeah, you know. yeah. Here it was not the case. I think I was. I think I was. Just, I think I was being a little bit lazy. <laughs> okay, now we know. All right. The truth is, I was on the fence. I wasn't sure where how I was going to vote. <laughs> Oh yeah, you were yeah, you weren't sure, right? You know, it evolves. And I, I'm kind of joking, like you know, at first it was it was just crowded, then it became I was lazy, and then it was really bad. Actually, I was I wasn't sure who I was going to vote for. Um, anyway, good to see you. Same, same. It's been a while. I know. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I've been out of the city by and large for for, for since uh, the summer. Yeah. Well, there's been no social interaction around here, even if you are in the city. True. That's true. Um, how's it going for you? It's going good. It's going good. I, I, I maintained productivity during the, um, during the pandemic while I yeah. was locked in. I got this book done right. while I was locked in. And then did you see that little film those guys did of me that was at the New York Film Festival? No. Wait a minute. Why it was a I short it was one of the shorts. Louis oh. and Noah Kloster. 
They're kind of Louis and Noah Kloster. They're like in their 20s. Okay. They're, they're a couple of like really cool kids that I'd been working on a film with. They wanted to do a short documentary that's animated about me. Oh, which is okay. really great because then, you know, you don't have to be you. You just have to talk and then they animate you, <laughs> you know? Sure. So it yeah. Was well, yeah. Thing. It was like called Shots in the Dark. And they okay me a play on the title shot in the dark yeah well I actually made the title up <laughs> they made the film and then it's they good. Finished, good. they finished the film and they went like we don't know we don't know how to make titles and I said well I got a shitload I got a lot of titles that I have left over from my book that I made up to use in my book but let me look through them oh and then, right and then I, yeah. I said, Photo yeah so I said yeah shot in the dark which was a play on shot right. shots in the dark which is a play on shot in the dark which I remember when I was a kid. Isn't that the first Pink Panther movie? I always confuse whether or not that is the first or the second that the Pink Panther movie might have been the second one. Um, it seems logical that they would have just started calling all the movies, uh, you know, with Pink Panther in the title once they started. But I, I'm not positive. Uh, we'll have to have somebody call in. So if you're listening. Anything, yeah. <laughs> so, that, so, so, so they did a movie about me taking pictures at CBGB's back in the 70s. That's a good subject. And so, and, it, and they showed it because you're friends with the film at Lincoln Center I think organization they chose for me so many years. The, I think they chose me as the guy to be in their film thinking if they did a film about me, they might have a chance of getting in the festival. Oh, that's especially sort of... Uh, and they did suspicious get of you. Uh, I mean, you went an extra. I, I think was... they got in because of me. They got in because they made a really good film. Like I got lucky. I Ultimately, with these guys, and then. Um, but you're suggesting that they were a little bit more, uh, perhaps, strategic about their their idea. I like, think, I think they might have been thinking, well, if we do a film yeah. about this right. interesting guy as opposed to that interesting guy. Right, right. No. Like my, yeah, like I'm just waiting to uh, premiere my Dennis Lim by a, a documentary, you know, and. Um, right. <laughs> I, and that followed quickly by my Eugene Hernandez biopic. Exactly, exactly. Why not? <laughs> you know, like, and, and, but they were really cool guys. And so they, we started it long before the pandemic, but then the pandemic hit and they said, we have to do another interview. I said, you can't come over guys. Like I'm. You know, I'm the age, you're too young, I don't want to get sick. Then I got sick, and I said, now you can't come over because I got sick. Yeah, I had it back in March, but I had a mild case. But I said, now I can't, I don't know how long I can't see people. I said, you can't come over. That's the short and long of it. Mm-hmm. And they then they thought it over like any good 20-something-year-old would for like 24 hours, and they said, we got a plan. We'll drop mm-hmm. off a mic and a re- whatever they record into the recording equipment, we'll sterilize it. Then we'll interview you on um, FaceTime we'll, and, and record the sound onto this professional equipment. And so I was effectively for that, the sound man for their film. And then they came and picked gotcha. up the stuff and then they you know, did a couple of more interviews, dropped off the mic, brought it back and they finished it during the pandemic without ever having to see me. And um you didn't see it at the These film. Are, there are a lot of firsts. There's a lot of firsts now during you know this period of time, aren't there? Uh, it was very, it's, very it's, ingenious to do that. I thought it was very... Right. Uh, 
Uh, and so they showed it at... Uh, During at, one uh, of the shorts. Was, the New, New York yeah, store. Yeah, sure. So I have to, yeah, I'd like to see it. Um, and I they, they saw it. They actually I'll, show it on a drive-in screen because, you know, the festival had a couple of drive-in screenings. At the Queens, at the Queens location? At the Queens location. And so I saw it. Okay. It, it was like open before one of the other films. Oh, wow. So I, I'll have to tr- figure out how to get my hands on it. I, I know how to get your hands on it. Okay, I'll put my hands into your, well, I, I was going to say I'll put myself in your hands, but I'll let you figure it out. I, uh, yeah, I, I actually managed to seek, you know, for me, again, I'm sick and tired of people saying how, how well they, how well they're doing this, you know, uh, I feel bad for everybody, but I've had a really incredible time during this quarantine and the but the, but I got you know, larger screen. I'm I'm upstate. I got a large screen right. here, and uh, I was able for the first time to see the majority of films at the New York Film Festival. And and I bring this up for people watching who are listening. They that that Godless is the sort of the official photographer for the New York Film Festival or film at Lincoln Center in general. But specifically, let's say that you're shooting. Uh, off in the red carpets and the uh, Q and A's, the press and industry screening Q and A's and things of that nature. So, for you get to go to everything all the time, uh, uh, or as much much more than I would, because I'm working or I I can't spend like uh, some handful of people who seem to be there for every screening. It's always a hope to do that, but I never able to to achieve it until this year. Yeah, yeah. This this I actually enjoyed watching the films without having to run up to catch a train to go up to the wall to read that I can right. get, have a cup of coffee. They gave me the link to watch the press screenings. And like yeah. I said, I'd watch them on my larger screen TV. And, and it's on your schedule to, to some degree. You had a, a much, certainly you had a window of time. So, yeah, like watching um, given... City Hall, the Frederick Wiseman. Oh know? yeah, right. Four and a half four hours. Hour. And my wife got to watch yeah, it with me, which she usually doesn't, you know, she misses all yes. the movies that I see. So, you know, you just take a, two hours and then come back, watch two hours. I, I kind of enjoyed it this year. Yeah, I actually ended up watching it straight through uh, because of that. Uh, well, I would have, if I was in the theater, of course I would have, because you're you're sort of stuck, you know. But even here, I, I for that day, I just was had been in the mind of uh, that I was going to be and you know, I, I I've seen a lot of Wiseman movies over the years, and what happens, especially let's say the last one of this magnitude, not as long as this, but almost, was Jackson Heights, and uh, right. you know, I was you get into his rhythm if you just sit, if you let it, you'll get into his rhythm, and then you become sort of mesmerized, and then the time starts going by like this. And then, of course, you still have another four hours to go. But <laughs> it, just, it, it was amazing how well and smoothly that <laughs> film went through, though. I mean, I used to live in Boston. so You did? Yeah, I lived in Boston for seven years before I came back when? to New York. Um, 69 to 75. Interesting. And so I have pictures. Um, you know, I was I started doing my street photography up in Boston because that's where I went to photo school. I didn't and know so this that, is new. I have information. pictures of that building where the city hall is in that movie. I have sure. loads of pictures of that building because I used to go down to Government Center 
to photograph just because they didn't have as Boston didn't have as many people out and about as New York City. You know, they didn't have right. any big avenues and stretches that you could just shoot people and then lunch at. Yeah. And so I used to yeah. love going to Government Center. And then there's that Jonathan Richmond song about Government Center. And that sure. all of where City Hall is, is Government Center. So I just was kind of fascinated with the even oh, yeah. Boston yeah. aspect of it. I lived in Boston from 83 to 85. But that's oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. But I visited many, many, many times subsequent to that. Yeah. Because I had a number of people, friends there. But but you, I had no, I didn't know this until today. But this is, of course, the first time I had a real chance to talk to you. Uh, it's great. More it's uh, length on into a, Yeah. And then, uh, you know, thank you again. A couple of years back, you contributed all those wonderful photos. Um uh, from your work for my Kickstarter. So that's... Uh, well, that was fun too. That was really great. Really appreciated um, that. And yeah, so you started since you brought... Well, one other question I want to ask. You did bring up the beginning of your street photography, which will lead us into the new book, which is what, why we're here. But you mentioned you got COVID uh, in March. Now, did your did your wife get it too? She did, yeah. yeah I, I, okay. I really, you know, like... I wasn't even sure that that's what I had, though the timing seemed to I be yeah. correct. It was before people were wearing masks. It was before people were quarantining yes. themselves. It was right on the cusp of that. So it was, and I know it was Friday the 13th is the day I got sick because it was Friday the 13th. And mm-hmm. I know I had seen a friend a few days before. And by the next week, we checked with each other and we realized we both were sick. So we didn't know which one gave it to the other or whether we both yeah. got it from the restaurant we were in. But, um, sure. right. but yeah, and so I had a- We'll say for the record, he gave it, we'll say for the record, he gave it to you just because he's not here. I will say it whether it's for the record or not. I, you know, <laughs> I, I had to say, did you confirm this? Well, I guess it was evident, but in, I, I, I had a virus in, um, Mar- at the beginning of March too. And um, I just assumed, I just, it, it, but I didn't really own that it could have been COVID because I just never got the antibody test to confirm it. Yeah, I got so, the antibody test in August. I really, sh- I really should have because it's likely what I did have was a very mild case as well. Mm-hmm. And I, it's funny because I went to the, I had I already had a doctor's appointment that week when I was feeling, you know, run down. And I had a, a bit of a throat problem, you know, it was, but, uh, and I had a fever, maybe a small low grade fever overnight. And that was about it. But I was had coincidentally a doctor's appointment in the middle of it. And I went to it and we were, it was just maybe 48 hours before quarantine began. But, you know, even as early as uh, close to it as that, we were still kind of shrugging it off to some degree. It wasn't until that particular day, <laughs> mm. all of a sudden we all kind of really, it's, it, it really rocked us, you know, at least that's my experience. So I just never, I just assumed I was a little run down, but in retrospect, I think I, it's a very likely that, that I did have it because I was on the subways running around all the time, running up and down, yeah. you know, touching everything. And I, I mean, it's very possible I had it. I was starting to be careful because my daughter had turns out worked, worked in the same building as um, that guy from Westchester, who had it? The first guy. Remember that that whole Westchester. No, uh, they had a they had a patient it was zero. Guy, it was, 
yeah, it was a guy not from, but the patient hero in the New York area was a guy okay. from West who uh, uh, figures was, was taking the train into the city and working in a lawyer's office across from Grand Central. And it turned out it was the same building as my daughter. Works oh, in. man. And so she called me and said, the day that it hit the news, she said, they've already sent us all home. And that was March 2nd, which is a couple of weeks before I had gone. Yeah. So I was, I'd seen her a day before and I was thinking, oh no, what if my right. daughter picked it up and then I picked it up from her. And I was like, oh, that's just an uncomfortable situation, right? You don't want to be telling your daughter, maybe you gave it to me, you know? No, but. And, but the guy I, two, I went through two weeks of not getting it. And then the guy who we both had the same experience, he got it way worse than me. He got a heavy dose. I got a light dose. I was done in a week. He went for three, four weeks. And um, also, I remember that week I went to the first screening for the new director's new films because they were still screening them at MoMA. Oh. And they had like the first three days screening. I went to the first two. And then I said, maybe this is not a good idea anymore because I was starting to catch wind that this virus was around. And I, I stopped right. going. And then they canceled the screenings the day after that. I can't remember anymore. Why? I went to the opening night film screening. I remember that. And um, so things were yeah. still sort of happening, but I was being careful even just getting on a train. Yeah, you know? it was very much an over, it was, it was, it, it was, all, it was like a, th within a 36 hour, let's say 24 to 36 hour thing that happened, or, you know, uh, it was like, it went from people sort of making personal choices. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, how much denial or how much were you going to really accept this as a thing to absolutely getting yeah. scared straight? You know? That was it. That weekend was the weekend. Because I, wow. I stopped shopping. I stopped, you know, like I was ordering food in. I was not going out. I was not touching the handrails in my building. I was like, yeah. as of Saturday, Sunday. And then my wife got it a couple of days later and you know, thank, thank God. But I didn't know until August because I couldn't get because of being quarantined and I didn't want to ride subways. Right. I couldn't get anywhere to get a antibody yeah. test. And right. then I thought the antibodies won't still be in me because I had it in March and I got the antibody test in August. So what's that? My April, May, June, July. It's like four or five months. And they were still there. And she did you, got the she had them. Did you lose your sense of taste or smell? No, I didn't lose that. No, no. I just had like a little coughing, a little. Um, yeah, that's what I had. Um, temperature and. That's what uh, I had. All right. Same thing as I had, it sounds like, kind of. Yeah. 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 I like those, but my friend had all of those. No, the same guy. So he got a tougher dose, or I just got a light dose from him. Mm. Anyway, um, medicine behind me. Well, it's been, it's been a year that we'll probably never forget. Um, oh, for sure. Come on. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I did get productive during that time period. Once I finished the COVID, I worked on the book. Right. The guys worked on the film. And so, you know, now looking back on it, you know, I, I got locked up with all my negatives. All my negatives are around. So I got to go through a lot of pictures and piece things together. It's yeah. a good productive period for me in a way. Um, social interaction. And the book is called uh, Godless Streets. Yeah. Which is a great title. Yeah, it's kind of um, pretty basic, right? I had, I, I was almost going to call it painted black, 
had a bunch of different titles. But Godless Streets is uh that's what it looks like. Oh, I think mine's in the mail. Yeah, I hope so. There's starting to get out. But I, I enjoyed the digital version and I'm glad I was thinking about using pages from that to pepper into this, which we will, but I'm not going to use those from the PDF because they're watermarked, as you know. Right. So, no, I can uh, get, wait for get you, I'll wait for your, your low res, you know, you can send me low res and then um, I'll, I'll put them into this uh, video and it'll, it'll be cool. I'll look forward to that. We can, yeah. Gives me another chance to edit a, some, a little differently than I normally edit. It's hard to, it's different to look at on the PDF than in the actual book, just because of, um, yeah. You know, we did a lot of page spreads that are across pages. Yeah, show something. Which was the, so um, it has a whole different effect when you look at it in the book. Oh, sure. Because on a PDF, it just, you know, it doesn't look the same as coming across the page. Yeah. Like that. Okay, because, all right, so I have, oh, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Union Square, what was that? I couldn't see. Uh, that's this is Brian Park outside Brian. Oh, Park. Brian Park. Okay. Once upon a time in the eighties. Yeah. What, those people are fleeing for their lives, by the way. Uh, they're very busy. New Yorkers are very busy. Well, I was going to say Brian, they're. Well, Brian people. Park. You know, even in the middle of the city, you could have a needle park right in the middle of Midtown. It's. Yeah, it's it's it. You got to be very quick, you know, to shoot these things. Yeah. Oh yeah! Stop. You don't go like, "Hey, stop! Stay there." It's not like a right. red carpet. You know? Well, I, this brought up something um, I want to talk about. Even in, I know that Chris Stein wrote the uh, introduction or forward to the book. Um, many people, of course, know him as the guitarist from Blondie. And Chris is a great is, photographer as well. Yeah, I actually uh, worked a book event back when I was doing things like that a few years back. Do you remember he released a book not that long ago? Yeah, he did two books. The last one was was a, his street I, pictures, you know, mixed in with some Blondie pictures. Right. And the, the, the one like four years ago was just Blondie pictures. Oh, right. I was going to say, because I was at this event and she was there, uh, which is odd because I don't think I remember running into you there, but you would normally have been at that event. Which one? The, the one down at Cooper Union? No, it was in the one in uh, the 20s at that um, club. And I'm blanking on it. The new Nye House. Oh, no, I, I, I know which place you mean, but no, I wasn't at that one. Yeah, okay. And he writes your intro, which is very appropriate because of your connection over the years to these village music scene and your photos from that time. And um, there, there's this whole issue with street photography, capturing moments, the idea of an eye. Now, if, if I take 10,000 photos, mm-hmm. isn't two or three of them going to look like I have an uncanny ability to capture un- these uh, amazing, exceptional moments on film? Uh, no, no, I, no. Yeah, I'm sort of saying I'm, I'm taking away from you your, you know, your your uh, talent, maybe on some level, your innate talent, and then I'm going to give it back to you. But I mean, I'm okay. sort of, I, I'm sort of this idea. Well, there's there's the, there's a thing where people think that I let's take it away from me and somebody who I admire, Gary Winogrand, okay. okay? and people would go like, oh, well, you know, you, he just shoots from the hip would be the the, the same, like. 
he takes his camera and he just holds it out there and randomly like a monkey just takes pictures so, so that it looks like he's being random. But when that's not the case, you know, it just looks like that. It's not, you know, there, there's, there's, there's concentration and there's looking through the viewfinder and making sure that everything you want is in the viewfinder, no matter how quickly it moves. And when I first sort of caught on to how to take street pictures, it was Gary Winogrand same. Oh, like, sure. Winogrand. Yeah, sure. Look through the viewfinder, look at everything and understand that what's in the viewfinder is what's in the picture. Because people take pictures, they hold the camera up to their eye back in the day and think they're close enough to something. And then they end up with a picture that's way wider than the picture they shot. And they, they it's, it's, um, it takes a little bit of time to understand how the camera sees it, which isn't the same as the way you see it. Mm-hmm. Then get comfortable with it and understand that you're taking pictures the way a camera sees, not the way you see it. You're taking pictures that are two dimensions, not three. You're walking around in a world that's three dimensions. Like you're looking at this screen, but if you're in my room, I, you know, I'm like a 3D film, like we're a house of wax or something, you know? You walk in, nothing, everything's not flat until you put it on a screen, right? But I was watching a Hitchcock interview the other day, and he was, t- the, the Hitchcock interview with Peter Bogdanovich, I was heard about, it was an audio. Yeah, yeah. And he was talking about like, you know, no, I don't look through the camera. I, I just, for him, everything's a screen. Everything's framed according to a screen. Well, for me, it's the opposite. You know, like I don't think of it, I walk through a three-dimensional world and I have to understand that the camera is going to see it like a screen and that I have to photograph that three-dimensional world as, and understand that the, 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 if I move around over here, things behind me change and the aspect ratio changes. And so as you're moving around very quickly in the world and photographing it and then doing it in black and white where all the colors are gone, it's it, it's not as easy as it looks. And if you shoot a lot of pictures, you're not necessarily going to end up with any good ones. Right. But, okay, so... Question? Yeah, yeah, we're getting there. I mean, it's a, it's a number of things. I mean, the idea about capture... Like, you know, when there are these juxtapositions, okay, which, you know, is a favorite word for people to... Mm-hmm. You know, where you have, let's say, some nuns walking i'm just of course this isn't yep. your photo i'm describing an, uh, something i'm making up here where you have nuns walking by a peep show you know uh theater and you you just you, you couldn't have known they were going to come by and you just happened to grab that photo i mean that that's kind of what i'm getting at too like how much how you can't set these up so how much of this is being in enough scenarios <laughs> you know what i mean and how much, or how much of it is photography, documentary, like, like a documentarian, like we're talking about Frederick Wiseman. Yeah. You, you don't know. You just have your past experience and you, um, and you know, certain things that you want to be alert to, you know, things that over, you have accumulated experience after a while and you go like, you have, you have to trust first your, my gut. Like I, I go like, you don't think about it. You just go like, I think this is a picture. I'm going to take it. And then you go, what did I just take a picture? Because you don't have, back in the analog days, you didn't have the camera to go like, I just took a picture of a nun in front of a peep show. 
Yeah. You know, but you're walking and it's not necessary. You might be walking past the peep show and think, I should have my camera ready because there might be a picture here. And frankly, your whole maybe an hour of walking is like, have your camera ready because I'm passing a peep show. Have a camera ready because I'm passing an interesting ad over here. Have your camera ready because I think there's a guy coming down the street way away from here. Maybe he'll be interesting when he gets here. And you're fit, touching the dials and fixing everything up as you're walking. It, it's a process much probably like a, like a Frederick Weissman documentary where you're, you're just, you're staying attuned to the situation that you're walking within and trusting your gut that, that take the picture and then worry about whether you got it later and worry about, don't, don't sit and go like, there's a nun, there's a peep show. How right. should we set this up? Don't think any of those thoughts. Right. Just put the camera up and take it. You know, and 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 if, and if it's not the nun in the peep show, but it's a different guy that comes walking by the peep show, if that one seems like the right one and the one you wanted to happen didn't happen, take that one. You know, if you go with your gut, and that's what. And I seem to have an affinity in doing street pictures. Either I have an affinity for running into odd situations, or odd situations find me. Right. Ready for them. Yeah. I've learned that over the time. <laughs> you know, it's not, there's no other thing. There's, it's not like I can strategically plan it out or storyboard it. It's got to like just happen in front of me. And that's in a way a very big difference between photography and filmmaking. I'd be like, you know, yelling at the nuns, get out of my way. I'm trying to take a picture. Yeah. There's you know, one picture that, in the book that as my friend is in the left side of the picture, but you wouldn't know he's my friend. And it's just like, I couldn't get him out fast enough. So I incorporated him into the picture. I was just like, put him in there. And it's not like people go like, oh, that's just, that's not a regular guy on the street. That's the guy Dave was walking with. But you wouldn't know, it, you know. And frankly, if you, if it was a picture, you'd know it. I wouldn't have put it in the book. Yeah. Well, the other end of this spectrum, I guess, would be somebody like Greg Crutzen, who takes meticulous care of yeah, setting up. Yeah, I'm You know, know. Oh, it's a whole other it's maybe closer to cinema than it is to. Yeah. It's, 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 I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not that controlled that I can do that. I'm, I, and if I tried to do it, I'm not like a concept photography guy. Yeah. I can't really do that. Yeah. I'm, I'm more of a, you know, my pictures look like you're walking in a, through a scene of like eight and a half or something, you know, where things yeah. are coming into the screen from the left and the right. And somebody's turning around right in front of the screen and going, did he just say that? You know, and, the, yeah, and that yeah. kind of stuff in my world, that's the kind of stuff that's happening. I've just figured out how to take that world and make an interesting black and white photograph. Out. There's yeah, there's a, there's, there's definitely a sense of spontaneity, which is maybe the reason why you've always been so drawn to also, you know, punk and, you know, yeah, the, the, definitely the, the, the punk the, thing. The, is 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 a very akin to my street photography thing. Yeah, I see that as a records. You know, like my my street photography thing is like Robert Frank, where people would go like, "Why do you like his pictures? They're out of focus. He's not holding the camera level. He's at an angle." My and punk is the same way. People, I used to show people my punk pictures, and they go, "Why are you 
taking pictures of these people and I'm going like, let me just play you a Ramon song. And I play the Ramon song. They go like, oh my God, you're taking pictures of terrible musicians. And in a way, you know, I, I, I entertain that for my street pictures, you know, like uh-huh. I don't want it to look like I'm taking an important picture, you know, but I, but, but all that matters is what's in that frame. And if what's in that frame, when you're looking at it has an effect on you, that's what I'm going with. That makes sense. I seem to know how to go out in the world, take a picture that will have an effect on you. Of course, that's all edited in the end. I don't pick the pictures that don't have an effect on you on you that I tried to take. I pick the ones that do. Is uh do you think photography for you is closer to music then in that regard? And very much, yeah. To, well, I my question is, do you feel it's closer to music than even movies, film? Because I was thinking the way Godard, you know, people like from the New Wave, uh French New Wave in particular, I guess, but not necessarily entirely, uh, were shooting maybe or and also those punks making the from the you know the the uh uh, downtown scene, Darmish yeah, um, and Amos Poe, people like that, oh, right? Amos and 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 uh, you know Seidelman and and all those guys that were you know making these films back then. I mean, but do you is it, or is it sort of all? Well, my come from parents the were both. My parents were both musicians. They were classical oh, cool. musicians, and so I I grew up around music. There was always music in the house. My father played brass instruments, and. I thought everybody had a father who played trombone in the basement, but I didn't. It took me a while to realize they didn't. Where was that, by the way? In on Long Island. Oh, okay. And um, and and he was he played in the city, so he would go. He would teach music during the day. They'd go into the city, and he, depending on what like the part of the career I was a kid during was when he came in and played Broadway shows. So he he's like, and do recording dates, and so he was classical. My mother was playing piano and giving piano lessons. They had met at, at Juilliard. So I had a pretty classical black background. You know, they were well-trained. They both went to Juilliard. And then I ended up, and so I, music was always a part of me. Yeah. But I, I, I picked up a camera and that seemed to work better for me than um, playing music. I played it when I was younger, but a camera and working with uh, my eyes as opposed to my ears, seemed to be the thing that that I did well. I started taking pictures and very quickly people liked the pictures. Not because they were artistic, but I was taking pictures of friends and they liked the pictures I took of them and I took them to drugstores to get them developed. And then I learned how to do a dark room. And so one thing I, 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 I you know, um, I think working with a camera is working with light and your eyes and working in music is working with an instrument and your ears. So they're complementary fields. Like back in the day when I would go in the dark room, the thing I, you would turn the lights out and you're working in the dark and printing pictures. I would love listening to music because all I was doing was working with my eyes in the dark room to, to, make sure the pictures look good and music in the background kind of took my mind off of things. And, and then you find that musicians all love picking up a camera when they're not playing music. There's a lot of musicians that are photographers. So I think they're complementary fields. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just chose the one that uses light and your eyes 
And, um, and then I ended up in this punk rock place that CBGB's where people were just, uh, you know, I, I got along with musicians. They didn't, have, they didn't have to be classical musicians. My parents had musicians coming over the house and musicians are a particular type whether you're classical musicians or punk rock musicians, musicians love music and they're a little nutty and they like hanging out with each other. And so I, I felt very comfortable among CBGBs among punk musicians because mm-hmm. they were just musicians to me. And, um, and so, but then, like I said, you know, when people looked at the pictures, they were like, why are you wasting all this talent that you have in your street photography to take pictures of musicians that are terrible? And I go like, they're not terrible. I, I hear something different than you hear, you know, and I grew up with classical music. So don't tell me my ears aren't good. You know, I trust my ears. And if I think Patti Smith is great and the Ramones are great and talking heads are great, I'm going to take my time taking pictures of them. And I'm going to spend my time listening to them at night while I can see them in a small club up close. And I don't care whether you don't understand that. You know, and that was the case. You just trust yourself and you find out, you know, a few years later, the same people come up to you and they go like, that was such a great idea that you did that. I told you to go down to CBGB's and photographs. And I'm like, I don't remember it that way. I remember you telling me this is terrible and you're going over there. And, you know, but you don't hold that against people. You just like takes people time to. Uh, sure. There was a lot happening in those days. There was, a you know, the 70s in New York. And in that particular place, it was like a lightning bolt hit. And there was so much new from the way people dressed to wore their hair to the way they, the attitude that it took a while to propel into from the 70s into the 80s. And some people were a little slower than others getting there. But, you know, it, it, it was it, it, it was a um, so, yes, I, I do think there's a relationship. Even when I went to CBGB's to photograph, I wanted my pictures to look like the Ramones sounded. And so I came up with sort of a style right. that was the equivalent of the, pe- the way people were changing their styles in punk, because punk was no particular style. It was just do something new, make it simple, do it yourself, and do it quick. Well, in the UK, they might disagree, right? Because there was a the yeah. punk scene in the, in the fashion. There was a kind of a fashion. They were much, they had much more style than us. We in New York developed a style that involved like going on stage in the same T-shirt and jeans that you were wearing on the streets of New York. And um, and then they they they, spoofed, they spritzed it up a little bit in England like they can do. And then they had the Sex Pistols, which were just so brilliant that they outshined everything we did in America. And then they blew themselves up like, you know, like an atom bomb within a year of getting together. And, um, and they, yeah. they took punk to like a brilliant extension. Can't, you know, you can't hold progress. I'm uh, trying to just make sure that we don't get interrupted by, I can't remember how to do this. You know what you're doing. I'm going to let you do it. <laughs> I'm trying to remember how I do this. Mm-hmm. Turn off, notif- I'll just make sure, try to minimize. Where's your millennial tech guy? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, so I see. So in a way, you 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 were street photography actually that background, and you're under sort of being in such tune with 
the music from CBGB's and from the downtown scene, it kind of almost seemed like a natural fit that you would eventually figure out that style of photography that you're describing, right? You brought this, you had the years of street photography already. Yeah. And, and now you also had this thing that clicked with you in terms of what they were doing at the clubs. Right. Yeah. So Cause I didn't, seemed- I didn't go down there really to photograph. I went down there to I hear see. the music cause it was interesting music. And I wanted to hang out someplace and hear interesting music. I'd been doing street photography. I was working a day job. I was going as a photographer's assistant and I was looking for someplace to be at night. And, um, and then I walked into the middle of something that was just, I, you know, I it just looked like this amazingly new thing. Like I, I growing up, I was like, if I ever walk into a scene, I want to be sure that I'm aware of it. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, be like walking into like Gadar in those early years and all those filmmakers and going like, I want to be part of this. And I walked into the scene that was going on. It had been going on for a year or so before I got there. But I walked in to, they were already sort of somewhat developed. Blondie was somewhat developed. The Ramones, television, talking heads, um, the Ramones. And I, I, I just was enjoying hearing the music. And then about a week or so later, I guess, I was sitting at the bar and I was like, what, it occurred to me what I could do. That I'd been looking at these pictures of Brassais, Brassais, who was a night photographer from Paris in the 1930s. And, uh, and I, I went, maybe I can take pictures like Brassais took in the 30s, in the 70s. But how do you do that? And that sort of, I had this spark. And then yeah. I spent a couple of weeks playing uh-huh. around with the film and the chemicals huh. until I could get the picture to come out. I didn't know what it would come out like, but I wanted to get it to come out. I get something on the film, which then would allow me to, because I'm shooting at night lit up by street lamps and no flash. Mm-hmm. Get something to come out on the, on the film, then go into the dark room with the film and get something to come out on the paper from the enlarger. And frankly, uh, you know, and so I sort of, ended up like a mad scientist invented this way to make it work so I could shoot at night without a flash. And then I spent two, three years once I figured it out, shooting at night without a flash in this style that had sort of created itself. But when I look back, I, you know, the movie blow up was a really big influence because back way go backwards again. And I, I, I saw that. And then when I picked up a camera in 19, 70 i got my first camera mm-hmm. definitely in the back of my mind was that film and david hemmings running around shooting you know vanessa redgrave in the park and then her coming i want the film give me the film and him going i can't give you the film and then like it turning into this kind of existential mystery and um but there was the first scene where i saw people a, a photographer in the darkroom in that movie and David Hemmings goes in the darkroom and then they brings out the prints and holds up these big wet prints and puts them up on this big brick wall. And it's all very stylish. He's playing David Bailey, the photographer from England in the swinging 60s. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that definitely influenced me to think, wow, photography is really cool. 
<laughs> right. Cameras. Yeah. I realized so, I had an aptitude for it. Went back and watched the film and went, oh, a dark room. Right. I guess I, I got to learn not just to take my picture to the drugstore. I got to go in a dark room and then I got to figure out how to make prints. And all of that I did in Boston before I moved to New York. And then I, when I finally knew how to do that and moved to New York, I went to this club, started this new style that I tried and photographed the people in there and then would go down with a box of pictures every night and show them what I printed. Oh, so really? See what, yeah, so they could see what I was doing. Oh, I was going to ask you next. What, what was it that, what was your relationship with them? Did they accept you? Did they, because you're behind the camera, you're behind the lens, right? You're behind there. Right. And, and, and it kind of puts a, some, uh, a bit of an, potentially a bit of obstruction between the two of you. And, you know, I was wondering, but if you come back with those photos, I could see them being. Yeah, because I wasn't on assignment. It wasn't no, like, no, you're right, I, yeah. You know, there were guys down there that would come. You know, I'd be sitting with, like, Stiv Vader's at the bar, and then some guy from the Daily News would go tap him on the shoulder and go, can I do a picture? And Stiv would, you know, walk away, and the guy would do a picture for the Daily News, and then Stiv would come back and we'd finish the conversation. I was the guy that stuck around till like, 3 in the morning. And at one point in our conversation, I'd go, you want to go outside in the street and do a couple of pictures? Or can I do a couple of pictures while we're sitting here right now? And those were the pictures I would do. They would be sort of insider pictures. Right, you're they embedded. Made, you're embedded. They weren't, they, weren't imbe- they weren't made to be printed in the Daily News. They weren't right. made to be it's in the photojournalism. And you, but you embedded yourself, essentially. Yeah, I embedded myself because I really liked all the people. And I felt very comfortable. It felt like a local bar. And so I'm, and, and, and it just was this great place because there was great music every night. And so I had in my mind, much like I was talking about when I go out in the street, I have a bit of an idea of what I want to do, but accept what happens otherwise. I would go down every night and, you know, maybe I had an idea for certain pictures I wanted to take, but you just, you know, I didn't spend the whole night photographing. I spent the whole night hanging out. And part of the time hanging out, I'd take pictures. And then the camera would be kind of over my shoulder. Not, mm-hmm. I didn't, what, I didn't like wear it like I'm the photographer. Right, People right. forgot I was the photographer. I was just me. I was the guy that they talked to. Yes, yeah, some of them, I'm sure, because they, you know, they wanted to get their picture taken. But it didn't happen that way quite often. But, I, but nobody had cap, nobody had their phones to take pictures. The guy who carried the camera is the guy who took the pictures. I was the guy who carried the camera. Well, I mean, the book that we were kind of discussing about your street photography is called Godless Streets. Yeah. and You have have other books, which... The one before was History is Made at Night. Yeah. Which comes from a... It's my book of of punk photos of CBGBs uh, between 76 and 79. And... uh, that title comes from uh, some old Charles Boyer movie or something, but it, I thought it aptly fit my pictures. History is made at night. It's a great title. Shooting at night. That was my whole thing. Yeah. I, Jarmish, Jim Jarmish did the um, intro for that one. And um, when Jim called me up to tell me the, the intro was finished and, uh, and then he said, I heard you might be changing your title of your book. And at that point, I almost changed it. Some, somebody had almost convinced me to change it. I had like a weak moment. And Jim was like, 
I don't want to say anything, but I wouldn't change that title. That's a really good title. And I <laughs> right. called up my designer and I said, we're going, we're going with History is Made at Night. You have to fit all those words on the cover and they have to look really good. Not, not, you know, not like they're taking up too much space on the cover. And, uh, and so um, I got Jim to thank that I went back with that title. But yeah, that was, but I, that was the first book because I had to get that out. I'd been sitting with it for two yeah, years. Sure. But I always considered myself a street photographer from the minute I understood what street photography was straight through to the history is made at night pictures to me are just street photographs taken at night. Hmm. It's an aesthetic that, you know, street photography, it's, an, it's, I see. it's an aesthetic similar to new wave films. Sure. And, 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 right. So you can actually pose, you can pose somebody for street photography. I don't know. I didn't pose any of the pictures really in at CBGBs. Even when you were said you were asked somebody if they, you could take a picture of them, isn't that, aren't they posing? No, I don't think they are. They're okay. just, I'm, I'm like taking them into a location and then we're shooting. Okay. It's not a pose. It's, 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 it's kind of, um, it's more of a pose than what I do out on the street during the day. Yeah. But it's as much a, um, the aesthetic to me is let's go to this really difficult situation. We're going to stand in the middle of the Bowery at night and cars are riding by and we don't have a publicist. We don't have a stylist. We don't have anything. Right. It's three in the morning. We're going to go back to the bar as soon as we're done. Let's just see what it feels like to be out in the middle of the Bowery shooting a couple of pictures and then we'll be done. You know, it's not like, to me, that's not posing. That's kind of an adventure. I guess it's, I, I, you know, it's not like your typical, it's definitely not my red carpet shots. <laughs> right. The the film that's your sideline. Yeah. But, but even um, those, I try to move them into something that's a little bit um, unexpected because I work better in that kind of situation. It's been a very informative conversation, actually. I've learned quite a bit, you know, or it's opened me up anyway. About yeah, well, the way I, think. I find it very interesting, as interesting to me as film. You know, I love film. I love music. And photography is another one of my loves. And obviously, it's the one that I spend most of my time doing. But uh, it's not the only thing in the world. But um, I like speaking about it. So, yeah, so the, you want to get the book. So the book is Godless Streets. Who published and it? It's a, Actually, this is interesting. The publisher is Real Art Press, but not real. It's real as in movie real, mm-hmm. R-E-E-L, because they do a lot of film books. They just did one about Once Upon a Time in the West. They did one about, you know, French New Wave. Mm-hmm. They also do photography books. They're very eclectic. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of a um, one of the their interests. They saw me posting my pictures, my street pictures on Instagram about a year ago. And I was posting them just out of boredom. I was pulling negatives out and reorganizing my negatives and posting two pictures a day for uh, several weeks. And then I got a email from this publisher saying oh, you're 
that who had been watching me do that. Oh, neat. Un, unknown to me. And they said, we, we, we'd be really upset if you don't do your street book with us. <laughs> and, and, I, and they came to the U.S. back in pre-COVID times, and I met with the publisher, and they were really into doing my street book. And I was like, okay, let's do it. And so that's how that happened. But they're, you know, they're, they're, they're I think the head of the company is, he collects, um, he, he's a big collector of film posters. He's very, you know, movie posters and stuff. Mm, mm. He's a very film guy. Right. He, who also likes photography, who also likes punk rock, who also likes crazy people doing crazy things with which I where the, where's where Where's that company based? They're in the UK. Okay. Yeah, they are. Okay. The UK. And so, um, so yeah, so this one is, um, it's just a lot of street pictures and intro by Luke Sant did the intro and Chris did the afterward. And oh, okay. Nice bookend because. Bookended. Yeah, they're bookended. Luke is a great writer of about photography mm-hmm. and um, he just has a new book out called Maybe the People Would Be the Times and he did Low Life. That's the book that you probably know him for. And Chris is perfect because of my punk rock days. And I think Luke actually went to school. He's an old friend of Jim Jarmusch who did the intro for my first book. So it all kind of... Uh, uh, concert, comes, yeah, right. It's only so many degrees from anybody in the yeah. downtown. And, and ha- people can get it through... They can get it. Through- the best way to buy it right now is through Rizzoli. Rizzoli has signed copies up until oh. we're going to be doing an, an online event virtual event with luke and chris uh through rizzoli on november 19th oh and very if, good well this is good watching time. this after november 19th you is our ticket available now it's available now for pre-order november i mean 19th. i know the book is are yeah. the tickets for the virtual event you don't uh, need tickets you can watch it for free oh i have told them no tickets you <laughs> let them come in you're a man of the people i'm a man of the people who likes to sell books I want but, to get the book, but give me, you know, give give me time at the virtual event, and by the time you're done with the virtual event, you'll want a book. If you don't get one before, you can get one after, or you can choose not to get one. Maybe Rizzoli needed the money. Maybe Rizzoli needed the money from the tickets, though, because you know bookstores are hurting, right? So they're doing very well. I was just up there today, and they're oh, selling books. They sold out the first batch they bought. That's great. Find a second batch. They're okay. Very happy with the way it's going, and they're fine. You know, I'll I'll sell them more books than they thought by the time the virtual event goes on. Mm-hmm. And you know why why not have people enjoy it? I mean, you know, just you go see go go see the event, enjoy it, find out about the pictures. Maybe a week later, you want to buy the book. It's it's holiday season. You might want two copies: one for you, one for your friend, one for your for your best bestie, or your exactly. So, like the, the, or the person you gave uh, coronavirus to and feel guilty for, and then you just have a way to relieve yourself of that. You I'm, just, I'm just, you know, it, I'm 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 looking to. I think it's a nice, yeah. It's a good uh, thing to get your, you know, we're going through a very rough time period. Yeah, this will take your mind off of it. Believe me, you will spend. A half hour looking at the book, fifteen minutes looking at the book. It's, it's hours, of, but over years it'll give hours of pleasure because you know when you have a photo book and you come to it a year or two later after you bought it, you put it away, and then you come across it in your bookshelf and you take it out again. You rediscover it anew. That's my experience. I I'm looking at the photos 
as though for the first time uh, I see them in a different way. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, it's it's not just. I mean, it's like listening to music. Sometimes you give some time to you come back to it, and you you all of a sudden listening it. I will, I will say that this this the, it's just the right size. It's not too big. It's not too small. <laughs> it fits. Look how look how well it fits in my hand. You see, I can just go yeah. like this. I don't. It's not like a. Yes. It's not like it's. One big. of those unwieldy, large it's, coffee table books I, that you. I demanded that it be just this size. Right. I said, it can't be too big. It can't be too small. It's got to be comfortable to look at. People have to enjoy it. And like I say, it's coming to a coffee table, coming soon to a coffee table near you. It's a good, it's a good, I like that. Print up the poster right now. We paste <laughs> it to a lamppost. Thank you, Godless. What? Thank you. Thank Thanks. you, Adam. I, I, this has been a pleasure because I, I see you off camera and enjoy our times together. Me too. And, um, I've really enjoyed being doing this. Me too. Now I should, I should have recorded it, right? <laughs> yeah, time. Why didn't I hit record? Yeah. I, no, I'll I'm going to, we'll remind people, I'll put it at the end, I put the title cards uh, before and after the video. Mm-hmm. And then also, if it's when it's on the podcast, I I try to do it before the November nineteenth. But we'll we'll promote the Rizzoli event. You can both purchase. Just to remind people, you can purchase the book through if you Google Rizzoli Bookstore, and you can also find tickets for this virtual event, which again is on November nineteenth. You said, yeah, you don't need tickets. I don't know exactly how they well, do. You, November nineteenth might be a link, or there might okay. be. What I find they do is like they still have an event link. And you, it may not cost anything, but you got to go through registering. Right, then, you got to go through registering. So they yeah, little, so and then you'll get a link in, probably in your email. And you ask then, questions of us. You know, and oh, you, uh, you don't no have time. to be seen. You'll be able to ask questions, but you don't have to be seen. Right. We'll take questions. Keep it to the subject of of probably photography is my guess, but. Um, well, you know, we 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 we'll. we'll uh, we can reject or accept. <laughs> right. You know, and what, what, what this moderator, we have a moderator. Oh, okay. There's a, there's um, a moderator, Dave. Well, Rowe. I'm going to, I'm going to put it in my uh, calendar. I'll be there. I'll, uh, you know, in the uh, spectator room. Um, good. This is yeah. going to, you know, a, a, a splendid time is guaranteed for all. Just like here. That's what I say. I have to pop out because okay. um, I, I, not to be rude, but uh, because I've got uh, actually somebody from the New Orleans Film Festival coming on at five o'clock. So I'm trying to do my bit, you know, for the film, all the film festivals that are struggling. You're a good man. Well, you've done very well with this podcast. Well, uh, wait till you get the news about what's coming up. Uh, big, big, big news coming from a, rebranding the show a little bit it's going to be very new i'll tell you about it next time but i can't wait yeah <laughs> all right okay i'm, I'm gonna I'm, I'm not gonna lose sleep but i'm no i'm i'm right there with you waiting along with you. big <laughs> okay. news all righty all right adam all right take care thanks so much stay safe everybody yeah appreciate Bye. it take care <laughs>
Alrighty. Uh, beginning Wednesday, November 11th, Manfred Kirchheimer's Free Time will receive a week-long engagement at Film Forum's Virtual Cinema. So it is available right now. Uh, it started, the, in other words, this past Wednesday at the, the if you go to filmforum.org, uh, they have a virtual cinema you can uh, pay and, and support independent and art house film. In the tradition of New York's greatest street photographers, Free Time is a new film based on lustrous black and white footage Kirchheimer and Walter Hess shot throughout the city from 1958 uh, through 1960. New York's stately architectural beauty contrasts with rough and raw scenes of kids playing stickball, window washers balancing precariously, and stoop sitters reading the paper or just daydreaming. The ways in which life in Washington Heights offers differs from Hell's Kitchen, the Upper West Side, or the Financial District are captured with a sensitive, loving eye and an ear for the musical rhythms of city life. Free Time received its world premiere at the 2019 New York Film Festival. The film was acquired by Grasshopper Film, which plans to roll out Free Time in virtual cinemas nationwide. Of course, beginning right now, you can go to filmforum.org and see uh, Free Time right now. Complimenting Free Time at the Film Forum's website is Rudy Burkhardt's classic Under the Brooklyn Bridge. Early 1950s Brooklyn is both majestic and grubby, dangerous and exhilarating, but never more so than when a gaggle of boys strip off their clothes and dive into the East River for a swim. I'm thrilled to bring Manfred, or as I call him, Manny Kirchheimer, back to the podcast for a second visit. Here we go. My friend Manny Kirchheimer on FilmWax Radio. How are you? I'm fine. You're looking well. I'm feeling good, thank you. Oh, good. And you're looking well, too. Last time when I talked to you in your apartment, I might add. Well, that's where I, I am now, except I'm in my wife's room. I'm in a different room. She oh, but we didn't do Zoom last time. No, no, we were in person, in fact, because uh, there was no oh, threat. Oh, that's right. Of, right, there was no threat of me uh, giving you a virus or you giving me a virus at the time. And were you with Film Wax at the time? Yeah, well, I mean, that's my little operation. Uh-huh. The nice thing about the video part is, even though we're not in the same room, we can see each other. Otherwise, I think back in a, a while back, we would have just had to do it over the phone or something. And I don't know, I think this is nice. Yes, I agree. Good. Oh, I wanted to show you something because I was uh, I found... Uh, before I started, I was I found this from our last time, and of course that's oh, the yes. oscilloscope. That's yes. the oscilloscope stations of the elevated, and New York Films, the New York Films. And then I didn't realize that I had this stuff. But do you remember from from uh, first uh, run feature? Uh, <laughs> oh my! From nice. first run features. Yes. I. So I, you could tell I, I've been, I'm a fan of yours and your film work and <laughs> been well, watching. You know, since then, Adam, I've made an awful lot of films. I mean, your last one there was We Were So Beloved, right? Oh, no, no. Um, Art is the Permanent Revolution, you have. 
Yeah. Yes. Was that the? Is that a more recent? Yes. That's yeah. Two thousand. Uh, 12 or so but since then i've made like nine. yeah which is i think around the time i met you because i was at something i remember for bam and you were there with jake yeah. uh yeah who you know i don't know if you remember this and you probably don't why would you remember this but jake was a camper of mine oh wow camper yeah well uh we went to a very lefty progressive summer camp which by the time Jake was a kid was in Vermont. And I was by I that time, remember. Uh, yeah. I was a camp counselor. Oh. And, Jay, and I went back one more summer. My last summer as a camp counselor was in 1990. So 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Jake was a senior camper. And uh, then one day, like about 10, 12 years, 10, 10 years ago, I was passing this guy and he says, are you Adam? And I said, yes. And he goes, I'm Jake Perlin. And, <laughs> you know, I hope he, you know, he's watching. So I, I don't like to say that the hair had moved down his face from his top of his head to his, you know, so I did. But, you know, the thing about that whole experience is being, I was an adult in 1990, a young one, albeit, but I was a young adult. So I look kind of, you know, the same, but he was a kid. So, you know, I'm at the disadvantage because these guys have grown into adults and uh, they don't always look exactly the same. So, but that, that's how I, that's how I reconnected with Jake and then with you and your work through, through Jake and his, his, his good work and his commitment among others to getting your work out there. So you're going to be at Film Forum, this free time, which is now the latest work that you're putting out there again. Yeah, I've made two films since then, <laughs> believe it or not. Say it again. During, during this virus, you know, I'm at home, I'm editing. You've made two, you saying? Yeah, since then. So, one called Daughters. Daughters. Which is, an, in, in which I interview nine women about their mothers. And one called, from the same material as Free Time, one called Up the Lazy River. Oh, both, I love that title. Both are waiting for a studio mix, you know, which I haven't had during this time. Right. So one is using our, your existing archive. Yes. But the, the, the daughters, which is really should be called mothers, but <laughs> we're going to call, I'm not going to quibble with you. You're, you're the expert. <laughs> <laughs> that one year is new your new interviews that you've done yeah, over yeah. the I did them in um in uh, July last year I July see. 2019 okay I, I, all right I spent before doing okay so uh you're you know there now I hadn't even anticipated that we would have lots more to talk about but we can start with free time since that is about to have a uh, virtual theatrical, I suppose you could say, at Film yes. Forum. Yes. Why not at Mitrograph, by the way? Well, um, Jake tried Film Forum because after all, but, it is the, the most prestigious house in town, I think. Well, well, North of, uh, rather north, let's say 
we can't even say north of uh, Houston Street because it's on the south side of Houston Street. Right. I'm trying to say that maybe Metrograph and Film Forum can split up the downtown between them comfortably, like, you know, old mafia families. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so not. he tried then, and Karen liked the film so much, and she wanted it. Karen Cooper. Yes. Uh -huh. Terrific. Okay, very good. I'm just trying to remember if Metrograph is doing virtual screenings. Um, yes, they are. And they started the first week with stations and... Uh, <laughs> okay. Played with stations. Something played with stations. Two of my films. I think Bridge High. And, and uh, yes, so they're doing virtual. They're doing every week I get a notice from them. And oh, wow. So you are, what's the right way to put it? You're really, uh, I don't know, like uh, you've got a relationship with these two cinemas. Like uh, you've got it all tied up. <laughs> no, I don't have a relationship with Film Forum. Film Forum, the last time Film Forum showed one of my films, it was We Were So Beloved. And they showed that in 1986. Oh, my God. Are, are you telling me? And then, and then I was the first send them every, every subsequent film. And they really? say, oh, this one is for the small screen. Uh, this uh -huh. one is not for us. But then, they, you know, it took all that time to get, uh, what, 24 years. To get 34. 34 years. Eight, you yeah. said 1986, 34 years. Sorry to age you that's another decade right. like that. But, that's right, you know, 34 years. I just had another 10 years on us both. So, yeah. Wow. Well, welcome back to the film form then. Yes. <laughs> it's about time but they... But the Metrograph has shown a number of my films. Oh, I know. And they were going to show my film, um, uh, Middle Class Money, I mean, uh, right after free time, but now that's been delayed. Uh, and this then, is, uh, then he likes uh, daughters a lot, so I think he'll show that as well. Unless, of course, uh, you know, you could get into a, a war between, you know, maybe Film Forum will want that one too. You never know now that they're bringing it back. Uh, but of course, UAs, you have. Uh, Frederick Wiseman, he's always, you know, probably pushing everybody else out with his films. His, you know, uh, did you know that he had, I think his new film, City Hall, is four hours. I mean, I watched it. I, it's not that I, I, I guess I did see it. So I know that it's four hours. Yours is mercifully not nearly as long. <laughs> no, you know? it's just barely an hour. It's just yeah. a half a minute or over an hour. No, I know. And it did. It premiered at the New York Film Festival yes. last year. Yes. In 2019. Yes. So uh, it's, been, it's, it's been a while. And I know that you were supposed to have had originally a spring release of Free Time at Film Forum. Yes. But because it, of the pandemic and everything, they wanted probably to see if they could hold it off for a while and do a proper conventional theatrical. But it was... I, I'm assuming that's what happened, and then it was that's clear right. that's not happening anytime soon. So right now, but, but they did promise Jake that once the theater is open again, 
that they would give it at least a one-day show. It won't give it a week that originally was planned, but they would, they would show it there. Well, that, that, that's something, I guess. I guess. And, and as a gesture, I think that's very, I don't know, I think that's very nice. Manny, while we've got you on, I mean, you lived through, you lived through a lot, and uh, no problem. You've lived through so much, uh, uh, so many American, what shall we call these? Tra- well, it's tragedy. What's going on here? Frankly, right now, you lived through. You were in New York during World War II. Is that can we call that the biggest catastrophe since? Or I uh, guess, I guess, yes, of course. Holocaust. The Holocaust. Uh, I just wonder if you have some feelings about it. We're going into the election. And uh, did you, by the way, get a chance to vote? Yes. We voted a, a month ago by by mail. And we got a confirmation of it. Oh, good. <laughs> That's the did thing. You? Yeah. I, I, well, I was going to tell you that since I, I, at the beginning that I moved out of New York City, I'm living north of the city in the Hudson Valley right now. Oh, which uh, was kind of a plan for a while, but this kind of just moved it up. The you know I just needed a break, and I lost my dad during that whole period, so it was a lot going on. And I decided you lost him through coronavirus. Well, yeah, Um, I I think he was going to go. He was he's he had uh, sort of. I don't know, uh, given into quite a, he, he was going through a medically uh, pretty difficult time. Then he contracted the virus. And I think that was sort of the last straw, you know, that, that broke the camel's back, so to speak. But so he'll probably go down as a statistic, a, a COVID statistic, but I think he may have died. I think he would have probably died regardless. His, he was a pretty septic and a bunch of other problems. Yeah. So that happened in April. So that was it was a it was a pretty brutal spring, you know. Wow. Yeah. But uh, you know, he he uh yeah, cuz he was in the, in and out of the hospital and in this uh, rehab center, so it was almost impossible not to get it, you know. There were so many people coming in and out of those places that uh you know, he was very very susceptible to that. So anyway, what was I going to say? Sorry to go off on that track like that. I just, it's, it's of course on the top of everybody's minds though. And um, I'm glad you guys are doing okay. Yes. Have you, you, you know, I assume the majority of the time that you're spending at home, you, you're not able to teach at SVA or you are. No, no. I, I retired from SVA in 2017. Oh, you, you, you when I was 86. Oh, okay. So okay. I'm, so I'm not teaching. Okay, so that's why I'm able to uh, do a lot of work at home, right? And I do my editing at home, right? So it's a kind of a, a, a an upside to it because you obviously still have an quite the uh, the drive and the motivation. Well, it's such fun, you know. Editing is, you know, you're a kid again. Yeah, putting pieces together in, in different ways. You know, and, yeah. and uh, so I I enjoy editing very much. When you're sitting there and you're you're working on it and you're editing, do you feel in a way a, a bridge to a young Manny Kirchheimer from like maybe 50, 60 years ago when you were starting and you were doing? I mean, do you've of course these your 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 setup your 
your editing system is quite different, but do you kind of feel like it, it in a way it bridges your life together? Well, doing it, it this? does in a way, but you know, I, I think I'm much more confident in my editing today. And um, although, you know, an early film like Claw, I don't know if you ever saw, oh yeah, no, it's, it's, I, it's, I well, it's part of that New York uh, um, films. Oh, it's in here. Yes, yes. Oh, then I saw it. Um, I, I saw it, but I can't recall. But I, I saw it for sure because I yes, watched everything. It, on it's there. a half-hour film, black and white. And when I look at it, I'm astounded. And it's um, it's really my favorite of my films, even though it's only a half hour. Uh, but it was a struggle, and nowadays it's it's much less of a struggle. Uh, I'm more confident. I, I, uh, and I think I'm not sure of this, but I think I'm better as well, even though these are simpler films to make than clothes. Simpler, how? Um, well, you take daughters, you know, and um, the only B roll in it is uh, family photographs. So that it's a juxtaposition of faces. And, you know, I knocked that off in three months, the editor. Whereas I used to spend two years or three years editing. I mean, stations took three years to edit. Um, and it's, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you were doing those on a, ver a, a manual. Yeah, uh, sure. I mean, the, 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 the labor of doing that yeah. was time consuming compared to. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I thank God every day um, for <laughs> uh, the digital systems. I, you wouldn't be able to do any work up there if you, if we did, if you weren't, if this happened years ago, you'd now, I know, remember, I remember in our conversation a few years back, you're saying what a, what a big champion of digital you were. Yeah. Um, and if we weren't here in this in this age that we're in or you're in, you 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 would be sitting at home reading the paper. You kind of <laughs> well, go either, either that or I'd be editing over a much longer period and making fewer films. Would you be able to have that kind of editing equipment at home though? I have it. Like a, you have a flatbed. I still use it. I still use it in order to find material from my old uh, archives. Right, so I use a viewer and I use mean lines and I use a moviola. Uh, wow, doing that. and that's at home? At home. Yes, uh, I always, I, I, I ended up editing at home. Wow, and how much of your, do you have any idea of how much footage you have of, of, of raw footage, say, or uh, how much yes. you shot? That was back in, between 1957 and 1960. Three years in which Walter Hess, my partner at the time, and I would go out whenever we were mutually unemployed. <laughs> Sometimes, well, yes, because we yeah. were both in the film industry. We were both editors. And um, sometimes since I had the camera, I would shoot alone when he was working. And 
Um, so we ended up with 45,000 feet. 45 what? 1,000 feet of black and white reversal material. Now, this is 45,000 free time. Feet is, is, is something like uh, 30 hours. Right? And which is not very much. I mean, you can make one film out of that, right? But, um, and we were following a script and we thought we were making one film. But then when we tried to edit it together, we took 19, the summer of 1963 off in order to edit it. We couldn't get together on it. And so I proposed that we make individual films. And he agreed to that, although he never made a film. And I began by making Claw out of it. Uh, after I had made my initial film, uh, which I was, because I was so frustrated by the experience. And uh, so I made Claw, and then I used the, the material in Bridge High, and then I used the material again in We Were So Beloved. And um, then I made Dream of the City, right, uh, three years ago. And then I made Free Time, and then I made Up the Lazy River, all from that material. And now I'm going through it for the last time, just to see if you I are? can... Yes. <laughs> just to see if I can eat anything out of it. I don't know if I can. But um, I've, uh, I'm well on my way to finding the rest of the material. So, okay, so you have, again, how many hours from the original content? On the original footage, roughly 300? No. No, 30? 30 hours, 30 you said. Hours. 30 hours. Yeah. I've made a half-hour film, a 10-minute film, a three-quarters of an hour film, and a one-hour film. And the whole original film was thought to be two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. But who knows what it would have been. And, and you mentioned Walter Hess, who, is, who you worked with. Uh, and he co-shot this. And his film, which what, what was what did that turn out to be? His film, yeah. Well, he didn't he didn't make films. He he uh, edited oh, okay. films. You know, like I see. I well, in the, in the industry. Okay, because I thought you said that you both decided instead of collaborating. When, no, we, that's decided. right. We tried to edit this film together. Right, and so he would have a sequence, and I would have a sequence, and we talk about it. We did more talking oh. than editing, and and uh, then the summer was over, and we hadn't gotten anywhere. Although I had cut portions of films that I used later in Tall, for example. Have you seen Tall? No, no. Okay, so I used uh, two sequences from the material in Tall. So I've used the material in um, seven films. This singular material in seven films. I was just looking to see what I what I'd seen from the, the New York films, but that wasn't well, one of the them. New York films, you saw Bridge High, which is the crossing of the suspension bridge. Mm -hmm. And you saw Claw, if you well, saw that's it. right. Short Circuit. 
Well, short circuit is a different thing. Right, no, I it's understand. in which a black family takes over a white liberal's household. Okay. Alrighty. Okay, so free time is, is going to be on uh, at the Film Forum's uh, virtual site. Streaming, yes. Streaming on, on Film Forum's site, website, streaming, as of November 11th. That's correct. Right, for a week or two, or I, I should know that for a week. For a week, right? Well, since people can, uh, they can stream it on demand, though, right? I don't. Okay. Know. I'm putting you in an awkward position. I, I, no, no, I just don't know. And what, I understand, what the right? Because I know that they'll sometimes have screenings at particular times, but I, I would imagine they'll probably give people a week. But I'll confirm one way or another so that I don't give the wrong information. And again, this was shot from 1958 through 1960, all on the west side of Manhattan. I noticed you are were shooting up in Washington Heights. You shot on the Upper West Side, and yeah. and to some degree in Hell's Kitchen. Yes. So, but, and, but that's the neighborhood scenes. Right, but I also have a dredging scene, which I shot on the Hudson on the west side, and I have a junkyard scene. You seen the film? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I have a junk, right? The junk, yeah. auto junk scene. Yeah. Shot on the Harlem, 207th Street. And I just uh, assumed everything, I was just trying to say everything seemed to be on the west side of Manhattan, so um, which I'm thinking. Well, <laughs> Not yeah, Adam. yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. Yeah, because well, you know, I'm figuring you—you you, it made it easier for you if you're living on the west side to. Uh, well, to, at uh, the time, I wasn't living on the west side. I no? was living in Regal Park, Queens. Ah, oh, my birthplace. And and is that right? Yeah, I was born in Regal Park, and we lived there from night. My family lived there from 1963 to 1968. Oh, wow. Well, we only see. Well, I should say I was alive. They were there before that. They were there from probably 1960. I see. Well, I was there from the time I got married, 1955 to 1964. So we so overlapped a year. We did overlap one year. That's amazing. What yeah. street were you on? Can I ask? Since uh, we're at, since we're chatting, sixty third, sixty third. Yeah, we were right around there as well. Maybe. Uh, do you remember that area called Walden Terrace? Yes, that's where we. That's oh, that's exactly that's across the, the street from where I live. Okay. Yeah, I I was so you may have, my my parents may have wheeled me right in front of you at one. Point. <laughs> it's very possible. <laughs> Yeah, they, we. I lived there as behind. Remember, Alexander's was on the. Yeah, that's right. Right there, we lived just a couple of blocks. That's right. So wow! So you slept over to the west side every day. Would you get in your car and you? Yes. Yeah, Walter lived up the block, and I would pick him up, and then we'd go to different places on the west side. Yes, which we sort of knew, but we also discovered. Well. Mm-hmm. Right, because in Claw, there's that uh, big claw, you know, that rips up buildings, and we discovered that one day on the west side, and uh, so you know we would, and and all those sculptures, those faces and sculptures, that are, uh, and the free time begins with sculptures, 
Yes. Meaning uh, built into the buildings, though, architectural kind yeah. of sculpted. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And they were all on the west side. Few were on the east side, I think, but they were mainly on the west side. Mm-hmm. And we would uh, photograph them. Well, it's it's wonderful to see all that. For anybody who loves, uh, you know, to see old New York, it's a gift. It's a pure. It's it's a it's a lovely gift. You know, I love watching the old. I just love watching uh, New York from back before it was kind of. I think overdeveloped. Yes. Well, but not that it was perfect then. <laughs> there were a lot of. It was a lot harder in a lot of ways. Well, Adam, it was overdeveloped then. As a matter of fact, that was the motivation for True. making that film. Is that right? And, you know, the, four, the first film in the series was called Claw. And that was all about tearing the old neighborhood down and building the new buildings, which shut out the sun and so on. And so that was the real reason that we started to shoot these films. And we had these different sequences that we were going to use, you know, we would call one sequence the city from afar and another sequence entering the city and another sequence called the haunted city and, uh, and so on, you know, and escape from the city. And these were all, you know, and the good part was the neighborhood, which is being shown, you know, and of course, one of the things from the haunted city was the junk man who is in pre-time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, so that was the original motivation. We felt it was way overdeveloped then, but of course it kept developing. It just kept developing. And now I think the opposite is going to happen. After the virus, you know, people aren't going to go back into the buildings. They're going to work from home. And bosses are going to find that much cheaper. And uh, so these in, these buildings are going to stand half empty. I, yeah, or if you're an optimist, half full. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was, I, well, I started the conversation kind of asking you, I was a little hesitant because it's a loaded question about like your feelings about what we're going through. And I, I said it might be the biggest tragedy as a, that we're experiencing as a world together since uh, the Holocaust. But, you know, I, I've been saying these things about New York specifically. I read an article yesterday about the, how the subway system is uh, really suffering yeah. financially. And I'm saying it's the tip of the iceberg. And, you know, I'm really, I have a really deep concern about where New York is heading. It's already lost one of the main economic girders, which is, you know, tourism. Yeah. And then you're right, as leases and rent, as leases and expire, you're right. I think a lot of people are going to say, well, it's not ideal that you're, that our team is working diaspora, like a diaspora out there from homes, from their homes, but we're managing and we don't have to pay thousands and thousands a month on, 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 on the, on the rent in these buildings. We can do it. And then, you know, so you're right. I think you're going to see New York is going to go through a very difficult time. Yeah. And it's not the only city, but it is a city that is on such a steroidal level as far as, you know, real estate 
and uh, and its economy is based on real estate. It's based on tourism and meat and entertainment, and it's all kind of, you know, on 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 uh, on, on hiatus. Right. So one of the good things that might come out of the virus is that there won't be new buildings for a while. And we put a stop to the overdevelopment. Uh, mm. And you can get back to filmmaking then. No... <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm kind of stuck at home right now. especially. Yeah, but I was, was going to say, you still must have, I have to imagine, I mean, I don't know how much of your film has been converted to digital how much of it how much you've uh, done oh, you know because everything yeah oh wow so you how well, many not the not the unused material not that no that's what i mean though so oh no i only um i only digitize what i pull from. yeah it's a very expensive sure but i'm gonna say you might want to start getting on that's your next big project because uh you might be stuck at home making films for a while and you'll have all those probably yeah. maybe hundreds, if not even more than hundreds of hours of uh, film. No, I don't think so. Where you, you just, I think I'm sort of done with that material, especially okay. now when I'm pulling, I'm eking out the last of it. And as a friend of mine said, if it doesn't work out, you can always make him. <coughs> An avant-garde film out of, out of the material. <laughs> That's right. It's called recycling. Yes. Well, let's repeat that Manny Kirchheimer's or Manfred Kirchheimer's uh, latest, we'll say it's your latest film, even though I know you're working on new material and will probably be coming out in the next year. But right now, uh, as of November 11th, you'll be uh, releasing Free Time, which is uh, New York City in the ni- in the late fifties, and it will be out on November eleventh on filmform. I think filmform. org or filmform. I think it's filmform. org. You can start there anyway, um, and and I'm sure there'll be a link for their virtual screenings that they're going to have of the film. Congratulations on that. Thank you. And it's a is it still a company with Rudy Burkhart's Under the Brooklyn Bridge? Yes, I believe so. So it'll be paired. So you've got about it, probably a good hour to hour and 15, 20 minutes of, of, a, of an experience for, yeah. your, for your money. That's right. Good. And, and is Walter around still? Oh, sure. He's, okay. uh, he lives uh, on 94th Street, also on the west side. Everybody's, and, left, everybody's left Rigo Park, Manny. Yeah. We all left Rigo Park. Even my parents. <laughs> Very good. And and who's Rudy? I don't know Rudy. Okay. I never okay. knew him. All right. Um, and apparently he was well known among avant-garde circles, making these short films mm-hmm. of New York. And um, what can I say? I never knew his films. And now I saw his first one, which was you know, under the Brooklyn Bridge, which right. you took a look at. Yeah, I'm interested in seeing it myself. Uh, very good. Okay, well, thank you very much. And I don't want to co-opt any more of your, your time. I know you probably have another film to begin editing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they do, as a matter of fact. I'm so, but I'm very happy we were able to 
to do this and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to support your work in any way I can and, and film forum and the film conservancy and grasshopper. I don't, I don't know. I lose track of all the organizations. Yes. That are... Well, you're very sweet to do that. And oh, my I pleasure. Appreciate that. Okay. My pleasure. You do. And it's nice to Great. see you again. Same here. Thank you. I hope to see you again soon. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks. everybody again please visit our youtube channel subscribe please go to uh, uh, apple podcast or spotify or stitcher or google play uh, iheart radio and subscribe to the podcast leave ratings and reviews if you haven't done that and of course we are uh, here and available to engage with on facebook instagram youtube, uh, YouTube and uh, twitter just uh, search with the tag film wax radio you'll find us very easy and we we, we love it, uh, engaging. But, you know, uh, all it comes down to is supporting the arts, everybody. we're gonna, As a matter of fact, we're going to have on the show next week um, on the uh, YouTube channel, the owner of the Strand Bookstore. If you are a New Yorker, as I am, and a lifelong New Yorker, even though I know I've moved a little north of the city, but I'm still at heart and will always be a New Yorker, meaning a New York City dweller, um, and the Strand Bookstore is uh, an institution, and we've lost a lot of the institutions in New York City over the past decade or two because of the unfortunate level of uh, what I call steroidal development that's been going on there. You know, just many independent companies and institutions can't afford to stay in business anymore, and it's it's been a disaster. But the Strand is still there, and we need support to keep it there in downtown in the village. So we're going to have on the owner of the Strand Bookstore, Nancy Wyden, on the on the YouTube channel show, and, and much more. We have the author of a great new biography. This is this guy, Scott Iman, is at the top tier of film biographers. He is in this small group of authors, which I would probably include my friend Joe McBride and, and a few other authors, but... We have Scott Iman on the podcast as well. It will also be on the YouTube channel. And on that seg- same segment with Scott, we have my co- I will have a co-host, my friend Ileana Douglas, the actor. I'm slipping this in here. If you're still listening to this episode, you're going to be privy to this, which is that Ileana is coming on as a, I guess, semi-regular co-host of the show. And we'll see what happens. We're talking about uh, working together. So I'm dropping that little bit of news if you're if you're still listening, uh, and you may know Ileana's work. She's been in countless movies and and uh, uh, TV series, and um, one of the more prolific actresses of the last uh, few decades. So um, I'm thrilled about that. And we also are bringing on the actor Margot Martindale. She was on earlier in the spring, and she's back on the show. 
and uh, we'll be on the next episode and in another segment. Malachi Kirby, who is in the, uh, one of the new Steve McQueen films called Mangrove, and he's delightful, and he'll be on the show. And then we also have the director of a new d- film called The Nest, Sean Durkin, and his last film was a, a 10 years ago that he directed. Called, it was called Martha Marcy May Marlene, and uh, we finally got him on the show. Uh, and those are just a few of the upcoming guests. So speak to you soon. Take care of yourself and the ones you love. And we'll be back. Broken lines, broken strings, broken threads, broken springs, broken idols, broken heads. Broken hearts